Well, good morning. I'm doing well this morning. Appreciate the introduction. Feel a little small, but I'm just a guy from Moorhead City, North Carolina. Thankful to be able to preach the word of God to you in this setting here. And uh, Pastor Wright, even back when in Virginia, when we I when we I come to his church, then I pray for you every week since then for the past five, seven or so years in ministry. And thankful for you and see how Lord has continued. Uh, Lord has blessed you here, and what a blessing it is to be part of the ministry here at Harvest Baptist. And if you're a guest that is here, I have no idea. Maybe this is somebody's first, second time. Uh, here's the deal. Hey, look, I'm just a guest. You got to come in here, some real preaching, and hear a pastor right at another week, all right? I'm just a guy, so if you can't stand it, you still got to come back, all right? Because I want you to be able to be in a place where, you know, where the word of God is taught and preached clearly, and the gospel is upheld, and I know this place is doing so. You know, I mentioned during Sunday school, obviously, there's a filter that we have inside of our minds for everything that's going to come out of my mouth probably this week. And I definitely want to address everything biblically, but here this morning, I want us to ask a question, give you a, a, a literary story to begin with, and then after I give you the literary story, I'm going to draw it into where we're going to be looking today. And that literary story is a story that is called The Monkey's Paw. Anybody that's in literature might know that short story. Obviously, it is fiction. But whatever it is, is this, there's a monkey's paw, a mummified monkey's paw, that the bearer of it would get three wishes. Sounds familiar to other storylines, but here it goes. There is two, a family that received it, Mr. and Mrs. White. They had a son whose name was Herbert. They received the monkey's paw, and they did not believe it at first from the soldier they received it from. And so they said to themselves, all right, what can we lose? Let's go ahead. We will make a wish. They, I think it was set in some other country, so I think pounds or whatever was the currency. They said, we wish for, let's just say, a thousand pounds to pay off our house. Nothing happened as soon as they finished the request, and so they went about their day thinking nothing had changed. The man went to work, Mr. White went to work, and as he did, him and his son Herbert, his son actually was killed inside of an accident that happened there at the plant. Obviously, grief-stricken, he went, told his wife, and the days to follow, they prepared the funeral arrangements. As they began to do so, a person showed up at their door knocking, and it was somebody from the workplace to which they were. The person, the person then let the, uh, Miss, uh, Mr. White know, Mr. White, we are so sorry the company takes responsibility partially for what happened to your son. And so to compensate, even though we not, know it cannot bring your son back, we compensate your son and they give him 1,000 pounds. Obviously, the story, as it continues to go on, they begin to realize that the monkey's pole was working. It's just that their requests were being answered, just not the way they thought. They continue to go on. You read the rest of the story. They wish for the sun to come back and all that stuff happened. But I want us as Christians, as we look here today, is that God could be answering a prayer, but it might not be the way that we think he is going to answer a prayer. Now, don't put words in my mouth and do not try to put me in some type of understanding. I'm going to go through a story in the Bible, and I am not going to make any current correlations. I just, if you make a novel, it'll be the novel you make inside of your own heart and your own mind. I will draw application at the end, but we're going to go through an entire book of Bible, a book of the Bible, quickly as we can. And this book of the Bible that we're going to be going from does not often get spoken on or spoken about. I enjoy the minor prophets. And so with that being said, I want us to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. 
this book has been used a lot in times concerning today, but I want us to understand what's going on in this book of the Bible, because I believe there's much, much application for us today. Now, before I start reading the book of Habakkuk, you've got to understand what's taking place in Israel's history. You will find that I never begin a passage and just read a passage. There has to be some understanding of what's happening around the circumstance to understand what the people are thinking. So if, you've under, if you know biblical history, we're going to start over here with David, the boy who killed Goliath. Now, he is the king. After he had the king, he had the son, Solomon. And some of you know that after Solomon, the kingdom divided between the north and the south. They had Rehoboam and Jer Jeroboam, Rehoboam. Am I right, preacher? Jeroboam. Yeah, yeah Jeroboam and Rehoboam <laughs> after that point. The kingdoms were north and south. They weren't fighting each other. They got along for the most part. Had some good kings. Had some knucklehead kings up in there too as well. But you had the north and the south. And that's how Israel's, I guess, economic system and everything was working. Now, we are coming now, historically, to the very end before Babylon comes and takes over the entire region of Israel. But... Up to this point, here's what's happening, boots on the ground, so to speak. The Torah, the law, was being absolutely neglected. In fact, morality was a joke during this time. By the time of the New Testament, tradition says that the average man was divorced approximately 16 times. You did not know whose child belonged to whose. To say a step or something like that was pointless during these times. If you look further than this, earlier than this, think about Solomon. He's the man who loved God and he had 700 wives. Imagine the heathen. Imagine the people who didn't care about a thing for the God. Morality was an absolute joke during the time of the southern kingdom. Not only did you find that, but there were two groups of people. There were the rich and there were the poor. And the reason that they were the rich and the poor and the divide was so great is because those who had wealth made sure they maintained that wealth. This is where you find unjust balances taking place. The rich would charge exorbitant prices for things that cost them literally nothing. They didn't really care about the money they were getting. They were just trying to keep a group of people that were poor to remain poor. And so they had only in this society then you found that you had the rich rich literally walking by the poor the very poor. So you see that economics was upside down. You see that leadership was totally corrupt. You see human sacrifices were a common occurrence. During all this heartache, I know there are just some normal, quote unquote, normal, just good people who are praying to God and saying, God, you got to do something. Look at our world. Look at, look at our nation. Well, if you usually read in Minor Prophets, what happens is this. God gives a message to a prophet like Hosea or Amos, the sheep herd. He goes to Amos. Here's a message. Amos takes that message. Yes, sir. He goes and he preaches the message God gives to him. That's the prophet. Habakkuk is the only guy, prophet, the only prophet that I read that does not do that. He does not get a message from God and give it to the people. He doesn't. He's one of the only minor prophets that does this. He's so burdened for the people that are around him, he goes to God first on behalf of the people. He comes to the point and he's saying, God, 
I'm looking around. I'm listening to the day-to-days of people. I'm hearing the complaints. I'm seeing the corruption. And instead of him getting a message from God and giving it to the people, he goes to God. He says, we got to talk. You begin reading in Habakkuk chapter number one. Verse number one, the Bible says this, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and call me to behold grievance for spoiling and, and violence are before me? There are that that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceeded. We cannot do an exhaustive study of the entire book of Habakkuk in one message. So I will move quickly. Habakkuk is split up in, very simple, in a very simple way. Habakkuk says something. God responds. Habakkuk says something, God responds. That's how the book is broken down, and that's how we're going to go through it here this morning. Let's begin, right after we have a word of prayer, about Habakkuk's first burden, which he, conveyed, he conveys to God. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible, what you teach us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, know all, Lord, and I pray that even today, Lord, that we would be able to step into the realm of living more by faith. I pray that you would empty me of myself and fill me with thy spirit to say the things you'd have me to say. I do not know the needs here at this church. I do not know the insides and outs of people's lives. Lord, I do know that your word can meet every need. And so by faith, I preach. Lord, by faith, use your word. By, by faith, Lord, we step and preach as it's my last time I preach. And so, God, use this time that we have together. Lord, we don't want to be here to check off a box. We are not here just to say we did the church thing. Lord, we are here to hear from you. So granted, Father, by faith. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. In Christ, and we certainly pray it all. Amen. You look at Habakkuk chapter number one, and you think that Habakkuk is somehow getting out of line. How is it that you can send your, you know, your plea to God and almost in a way calling God out? You see, God does not mind us coming to him with our burdens and things that are inside of our heart. God does not mind hearing the hard prayers, but there is a difference between venting and lamenting, okay? Lamenting is when I go to God on behalf of what is taking place. Venting is what I do on social media, okay? Venting is what I do at the water cooler. Venting has a different connotation. Lamenting means going to God as he then saying, God, I cry unto thee of violence. I'm crying to thee of the pain to which I am witnessing. God is not immune to the hard prayers. God would rather you scream at him in your prayer closet then you walk out of here and walk off in silence and never give him the time of day God wants to hear our prayers but as you look here at the burden which Habakkuk now is portraying unto God he's saying God I am asking I am saying on behalf of the people what Habakkuk and this as basically essentially is doing he's trying his best to believe there is a God when he sees so much tragedy He's trying to rationalize 
that God, you're in control. And yet I witness so much pain. God, I'm trying, but it's not working. Habakkuk name means embrace. It's a compound word of embracing and struggling. He's embracing God, but struggling to maintain the embrace. God, I'm trying, but my grip is getting weak. God responds. Habakkuk chapter number three. I mean, sorry, Habakkuk chapter number one, verse number five. He says, Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your day which you will not believe, though it be told to. Remember God speaking back to Habakkuk. He said in verse 6, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling place that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horses shall spread themselves and their horses shall come from afar. They shall fly as an eagle that hasteth to eat. But they shall come all for violence. You say, Adrian, what is happening here? God answers Habakkuk's prayer. You know what God says? I'm going to do a work which you're not going to believe. Here's what I'm going to do. The Babylonians are going to come, and they're going to wipe you off the face of the map. Could you imagine? Then God brags on their army. Oh, their horses are swifter than leopards, by the way. They're more fierce than those evening wolves. They're more fierce than the evening wolves. He goes through and talks about how fierce the army of Babylon is. This God, I was praying, but this is not what I asked you to do. <laughs> this is not what was in the think tank. This was not inside the group meeting. I didn't know that this was part of the plan of you doing it. But then you find that he comes to God. As he comes to God, God answers and says, I have, and you continue to read, reserved them then for judgment. Now, if you continue, it goes down to verse number 11. Verse number 12, Habakkuk responds. Again, if you're keeping notes... I, I'm so sorry. I am not an alliterated guy. I'm sorry. I'll leave that for pastor, okay? But in verse number 12, you see the second conversation. Isn't that a great for point number two, right? It says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine only one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art pure eyes and to behold evil, and canest not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal, tre deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that which is more righteous than he, and makest men as fishes of the sea, and as creeping things that have no ruler over them. I really want to get into verse 14 and how he's using the analogy of fishes here. But really, I, I really want to get to the end of the passage as we're going to be looking just a moment. But what Habakkuk essentially is now doing is God says, remember he asked God, God, why are you allowing this? What is going on? God says, I'm going to send judgment to answer your prayer. Then Habakkuk then looks back at God and says, Lord, I know that we are deserving of judgment. But God, please, which you'll see later on in Habakkuk, God, please, though there's merciful, there, there's people there's here that, that Lord, that, that, that aren't doing this they're not involved in all of these things and he's trying to make his case he's saying god i know i know i know but i know i know i know but that's essentially what he's doing then there is an answer that comes from god 
and it's not what you would think. And it's indicative because in chapter number two, verse one, it says, I will stand upon my watch and set me up on the tower and watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. God does give an answer. He says, God, God, there are people, but people, but, but you know, God answers, you know, his answer is to Habakkuk, nothing, nothing. You say, how do you get that? Look at chapter, you see chapter number two, he says, I will stand upon my watch. Apparently, God doesn't answer his call. He doesn't answer his prayer, quote unquote. But do you realize that no response is still an answer? Say, what do you mean by that? You know, waiting on God is probably one of the hardest things to do, is it not? Because you know why waiting is so hard? Waiting is so hard because it's a reminder that you're not in control. When you wait in line, your personality can't fix it, your money can't fix it. You have to wait. So when he's in, God makes him wait. Habakkuk, here you, you're going to pray, you're going to pray, and God brings something out of Habakkuk. And you know, Habakkuk says, Lord, you do not have to be splitting the Red Sea for me to trust you. You know what? I'm actually going to sit right up here, and I am going to wait, and I am going to watch, and I am going to continue to ask my question and petition thee, Lord, until I hear from you. Comes, and after he has that spirit, God does give him. A verbal response. Continues. In verse number two. Chapter two it says. And the Lord answered me. And said. Write the vision. And make it plain upon tables. That he may run that read of it. For the vision. Is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry. Wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. All right, here we go. He lets Habakkuk know. Here, so remember, Habakkuk's going, Lord, 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 I'm begging, I'm begging you. God finally aids in this answer. And he says, there is going to be deliverance. It, that deliverance is going to be for an appointed time. And, you know, many people agree or disagree about what that appointed time is and what he's referring to. Uh, that's up here. But it's going to be for this appointed time that I will deliver my people. But how do you live? How do you function in the society, Habakkuk? How, what is the message you're going to give to the people that are trying to live under the nonsense they are living? He says, Habakkuk, the deliverance I give you to now is this. The just shall live by his faith. Look, when we use the term live by faith, here's what we sometimes mean. It's code word for if I told you I live by faith. You sometimes would think, oh, he must get money from churches or money, like financial support from other places. Yeah, usually when we say, I live by faith, that's what we mean, okay? And a lot of times in our Western culture and our thinking, we say, okay, that's the only way of living by faith. Do you realize that is only a small minuscule of what it means to live by faith? He says, do you know how you're going to keep your sanity in the midst of what's taking place? The just have to live by their faith. We talk about being saved by faith, but now it's time, my friend, now that that same faith we are saved by, that's how we're going to function in this world. You know, um, 
I remember our family, we live in a fifth wheel trailer. We do not pull our fifth wheel trailer um, any longer because we had too many stories. <laughs> so we thought it would be a good idea to go ahead and park it. And so, but I remember when we were pulling it, we had an F550 that we pulled it with. We were preaching somewhere in West Virginia, I believe, and uh, um, we, as we, were, we pulled up at the church with a truck, and I, pulled, I, set the, I parked the truck at the church parking lot, and I could see there was a big puddle underneath the truck, so I knew that there was a problem, right? And so I, I remember I um, went to the pastor, and I said, hey, pastor, do you have a mechanic in your church or anybody you trust because my truck needs somebody to work on it? And so the pastor said, sure, sure, I, I got a guy. And so, and when I was getting ready to go over, he said, yeah, I have a guy. And, uh, oh, I forgot to tell you, though, Adrian, it's going to sound a little strange, but just trust me on this one. He's a mechanic, but he's blind. And, uh, you know, but he's a great mechanic. You know, like, bro, I'm not hating or anything. I really am not. But it was like, he's blind? Like, I, I, I mean, that's horrible, right? I, 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 I mean, we're my mechanic? You know, he says, yeah, he's blind. I said, you pull my leg? No. Okay. Okay. I drive there. I get to the church. I mean, I get to the mechanic shop. Sure enough. We're not talking about like legally blind. No, the man could not see at all. Right. I remember he, I parked my truck. He came over. He was working on a Mustang. I'll never forget. He'll walk right up to me. And as he did, I was standing here and he was standing right here and he stuck his hand out. Hey, you must be the preacher. And he stuck his hand out, and I kind of, you know, reached over. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm Adrian and stuff. He said, so you got your truck, having a truck problem. I said, yeah. He says, well, let's, let's go over and, like, take, like, yeah, let's take a look. I'm like, oh, no, don't say that, Adrian. That's not dumb. You know, like, let's go over to the truck, <laughs> you know. And so we go to the truck, and, and he's like, oh, you must have drove from some ways away. It's, it's pretty hot right now. And so we need to wait for it to cool down. And so we walk away, and he keeps working on his Mustang. He walks around his shop grabbing tools, grabbing stuff, and he's working. And he says, you think it's cooled off by now? Like, I mean, just like it's a normal day, normal day. He walks over there. He says, all right, jump in the driver's seat. And he starts putting his hands inside that truck. He knew that 7.3 liter engine. He was like, ah, rev it up, rev it up, ah, pull it down, pull it down. That man's diagnosing my truck. I can see, and I don't know how to diagnose my truck, right? And he, it was interesting. The man could not see, but he walked around as if he could see. He couldn't see, but he walked around as if he could see. To Adrian, what's your point? As Christians, we walk around and we can see. We can see destruction and pain. We can see, pragmatically speaking, nonsense happening in our world and society, just like the people in Israel during that time. But what faith is, is even though you can see, you have to walk around as if you can see because your faith is not what's in here. Your faith is who's up there. And since your faith comes from who's up there, even though your eyes might make you start getting a little bit scared, your eyes cannot shatter your faith. The just shall live by his faith. The way is going to happen. The way to get to that appointed time, as it said in the back of chapter number two, is going to be the just. We're going to have to live by faith. You know, as you continue down in verse number five, going all the way through, you see that I kind of covered five through 20 in the introduction because you see the woes and what was taking place and how horrible the shame, the pain that was happening during the time. So then how does Habakkuk end, okay? 
make sure I'm good. Okay, how does Habakkuk then end? In Habakkuk 3, it ends, okay, remember God, Habakkuk and God are having a conversation. It goes back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. Now Habakkuk 3 ends with Habakkuk speaking alone. Habakkuk 3 is a psalm, actually. You could put Habakkuk 3, obviously, in the book of Psalms, and it, would, it meets the exact same structure, has the same titleage. Everything is exactly the same as far as in Hebrew layout of what a psalm is in Habakkuk 3. So it ends with a song in the book of Habakkuk. Now, it's interesting because if you look at verse number 1, chapter number 3, it says, The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shizunoth, right? Now, I'm sure it doesn't really mean a whole lot to many, but what, what it is, it means a lot to me until I looked it up, right? But is, and this is a musical term. Now, I don't know music, you know, is it, Brother Aaron? Are you the, you're the you, yeah, that's your name, right? Is it Aaron? All right, Brother Aaron. You know music, right? So when I was in my teen choir at my church, they would, I, as you can tell, I have a louder voice. And uh, sometimes what they would do is they would show me like the F sound, the F sound. It's like, like this is Sesame Street here. The F little logo thing, whatever it's called, means, means be loud, right? It's like be loud. And you see a P, it means be soft, right? Like it's how the song is sung. I mean, you see the same words, but when you see an F above it, it means you sing really loud, right? And there are some songs that sing, sing peacefully, sing meditatively, sing, I don't know, all these different things it says. Now, this is the same, Shijanoff is a Hebrew version of that, all right? The Hebrew version of that means this. Any Hebrew person would know that when you sang this song, Habakkuk 3, that song, what it meant is you were to sing it loud. You were to sing it with enthusiasm and with exuberance. It was to be sung. It wasn't the kumbaya. It wasn't kumbaya. It wasn't even like that. It was loud, right? So what does he say? Oh, Lord, I have heard thy speech. And was afraid. <laughs> oh, Lord, revive thy work. In the midst of years, in the midst of years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. <laughs> when he said in verse 17, all of the fig trees shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the all shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, and the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no heart in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make me make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon high places. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments. So as you see how Habakkuk started the book off of saying, Lord, how long shall I cry? And that wilt not hear to chapter number three when God has spoken and he's then embracing the struggle of living by, speak, by faith. It's not like the problems float away. He says in verse two, I've heard thy speech and I was afraid. Lord, I heard what you're going to do. And it made me nervous about what your plan was. But what he says, in your wrath, please still remember mercy. Please, God, don't forsake your people. But he says in verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, he says, whatever your will is, I'm going to trust you. You want me to sing the song, you are good. You are always good. You are always good to me. Though my heart can't see. I many times want to just think to God, Lord, I know, I, I, I know 
you know, by the knowledge. My knowledge says that you are good. But my feelings are yelling pretty loud that you're not. You see the struggle. He's talking about this guy being something he's not. But he says at the end, I will make a choice. I will rejoice in the Lord. You must bring this out because this is a revival service. But in verse number two, chapter three, verse two, he says, Lord, I heard that speech and was afraid. What does he does not say? He does not say, oh, Lord, fix all them crazy people. <laughs> oh, Lord, those knuckleheads that keep the poor, poor. He didn't say that. He said, oh, Lord, revive thy work. Lord, revive thy work. Lord, help your people. You know, as you continue to go down this passage, you see that Habakkuk gets to the point where even though his praise was starting to leave, his praise became louder than his circumstances. You know, um, do we have, listen closely, and I'm wrapping these thoughts up, right? Because I have one concluding, the whole point, I went through the whole book to make one concluding statement in just a second, but, you know, let me just say this on the side. Do do we have an attractive faith? You see, 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 when I say faith, you know, sometimes we use a lot of other terminologies and, and church circles and stuff, saved and different things, but, but to be saved, what, what do you do? You place your faith in Jesus Christ. We believe him alone to save us from sin. The greatest exchange, what does it say? Romans 4, 5, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is kind of for righteousness. You know what God says? Here you go. If you give me your faith, I will give you my righteousness. What an exchange program is that, right? Your faith. I give him my faith. I believe that he died on the cross, buried and rose again, and I get the righteousness of Christ. I become, I have citizenship in heaven. What a blessing. Now, that's faith, right? We put our faith in Christ. Now, the world can't see all these intricate spiritual blessings that we have, but what they can see is your faith and how we are functioning in this world. And then when they see our faith just as strong as their faith, well, that's not attractive, is it? You don't worry. You worry just like I do. You over there stressed out, getting extra medication just like me. What's your faith doing for you? What's your faith changing in your life? Is our faith I'm not saying we make it attractive just to be able to say, ooh, whippy, you, yippee, yippee, <laughs> yippee. I didn't say it like that. I'm just making a point of saying how we're going to live is by faith. Now, here's my one point, okay? A lot, a lot. That was an introduction, by the way. All of that, because I just went through the book. <laughs> but here's the message in like, you know, a couple minutes, real quick, right? Is, you know what? And I, before, like I said, I, I have just given the story. I've made one application that would then say I, I am speaking in our context right now. But obviously you can see the parallel why the passage is chosen for our current situation for our times. Now let me go ahead and make a direct connection for us as we close. Is I believe that... It could be that God can identify where our faith lies. You say, well, my faith is in Christ. My faith is in God. Okay, okay. Let me tell you something that I believe I've noticed. Again, take it or leave it. Um, I go on a good number of, I, I go every year out of the country. I don't know how many times I've flew into San Pedro and different places and stuff. And as I, as I go 
you know, travel several things, you, you kind of go see one culture, then kind of come back and see another culture, and then you can start identifying things within our culture. Let me tell you a normal testimony that happens after people go on a mission trip. I'll pick on the teens, right? We, we met earlier, so hopefully they don't mind me picking, right? But let's just say the teen group went on a, a mission trip, and they lined the microphones up across the stage, all right? Everybody's doing their Sunday night, they're doing a report of what their mission trip was like. All right, teens gets up, first teen gets up and says, I, you know, uh, it was a great blessing. I, wow, to be able to go and see another country and stuff. Um, one of the things that was so amazing is um, I would go and I was walking around different villages and I looked at people who had nothing, like they had nothing and they were so happy. I went to their church and stuff and when I went to their churches, I mean, their church was like nothing like this. I mean, no ignorance, the wind just come through, chickens just come walking through and they were so happy. There's nothing wrong, okay? Not hating. There's nothing wrong with the testimony of that. Then I see an adult come up. You know, I, I, well, during that trip, it was just remarkable because, you know, I was talking to the missionary about their political structure and how things were working and how it was just m- mind-blowing to me that people live, live like that. You know, it's, it's surprising. I can't understand how these people still come. They worship God, and they are so excited. You, the singing is vibrant in the midst of all of those things. It's just remarkable when you go. Now, so Adrian, why are you telling us all this? I want you to reel it in. I want you to think with me for a second. Let me say it like this. Those people have nothing. How can they be happy? They don't have stuff. Like, they don't have houses. How on earth could they be happy? They don't have game systems. They don't have houses. They don't have air conditioning. Um, Look at their political system. How can they come and worship God? And how on earth could they come and be happy about worshiping God? I mean, that's just left field. I mean, how can a group of people love Jesus, have no stuff, have a system that's going boom in front of them? What it shows is this, is that sometimes Our faith can be anchored in our stuff. Our faith can be anchored in our circumstances. And when God kicks the circumstances to the curb, and when God kicks our stuff to the curb, who are you trusting? The just shall live by his faith. Faith in Christ. Lord, we trust you above all. How can they be happy? Why is it not the first question to be asked is, wow, look at these people. As they're worshiping God, they can see the peace of God that passes all understanding is in their heart and running through their their veins. What a blessing. But for us, sometimes it's backwards. Somehow, the giver of stuff We start trusting the stuff the giver gives to us. And thinking the stuff the giver gives to us, our faith lies in there, thinking that stuff is actually him. That stuff is not him. It's a blessing from him. So, are we going to live by faith? Or talk about it? Because the just shall live by his faith.